With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help Dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power Dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. This is a special alert to all Americans who own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles with an auto warranty about to expire or with no warranty coverage at all. With summer quickly approaching, CarShield is offering a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that is available to the public to save any driver out-of-pocket expenses on future auto repairs. Call now to find out how you can pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs, like AC parts and check engine light mysteries. See why CarShield is voted America's most trusted vehicle protection company and see why our commitment to our customers has landed us an A rating with the Better Business Bureau. We have live reps here to answer all your questions. Drivers who are covered will not have to pay for covered repairs again. This protection plan is at an all-time low. Additionally, drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Visit us for your free quick quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. What do you have to lose? Visit carshield.com audio. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golver with the Washington Post. I am joined on the other line by Michael the Pod, Pina, who you know from 538 and GQ. Michael, Michael, Michael. We tried to tape this podcast about an hour ago. Guess what? Kaboom! Chris Paul has been traded to the Phoenix Suns, so this is our take two. Uh, we're just going to let everybody into the uh, you know the behind-the-scenes footage. You and I have been running around and burning buildings trying to you know, piece together <laughs> everything that's happening now that the NBA's transaction window is open. Look, this is a huge week. I'm sure you're, you're like me, Michael. You woke up with a skip in your step knowing that the draft is Wednesday, that free agency opens Friday, that trades can go official now here already this week. And we're opening with a bang, a big one. Chris Paul uh, to the Phoenix Suns in a deal that will send back Ricky Rubio, Kelly Oubre, a 2022 first-round pick, and a few other players here and there. Now, you and I had talked about this concept, I believe, last week. I said I thought it could elevate the Suns into maybe the bottom half of the uh, of the West playoff picture, maybe a little bit higher. You were even more bullish saying, hey, look, they're now in the second tier with teams like Denver and Utah. Now that it's gone official, now that we can kind of picture Chris Paul, mm-hmm. Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, that's your group there in Phoenix and 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 still some supporting talent around those guys. Um, how could this go wrong? Is there any backfire potential? Obviously, Phoenix is investing big time here, 40 plus million dollars in Chris Paul this year, another $44 million, I believe, for next year with his option. Um, you know, some teams probably were scared away by that number. Phoenix wasn't. 
Do you mm-hmm. see any downside risk here? Is there is there any backfire potential? Are we all getting sucked in too easily to this idea of, oh, Phoenix has this great momentum from the bubble, and now they're going to take off and run with Chris Paul. Is there any downside here, or are you still all in? I mean, the downside is just that like Chris Paul is old, and Chris Paul is as an old person (laughs) injury prone and he's making a ton of money this year he has a extremely expensive player option that he's definitely going to opt into in 2021-22 so if he gets hurt uh, or if he has some kind of steep uh, decline due to father time then that's obviously not good for anybody but the way that I view this trade, I mean, and I stand by and and still believe everything that I said in our last episode before we knew what the specific details were, because I think we, we speculated that it would be some package including Oubre and Ricky Rubio. Um, so they keep Mikael Bridges, they keep Cam Johnson, they keep all of the really um, uh, effective and, and necessary complementary pieces. But for me, it's just like, where were you going with, uh, as well as they played in the bubble, where are you going with Ricky Rubio as your point guard? As we've seen, you know, he's really good in plus minus during the regular season in the playoffs when teams just completely ignore him when he doesn't have the ball. It's a different story. So you obviously cannot do that with Chris Paul. I think that the fit is just perfect. The way that Chris Paul will um, accelerate the development of DeAndre Ayton in the pick and roll and how he'll be able, he'll let Devin Booker work off ball the a little bit more and give him more space on the ball. I just think the fit is is excellent. And so I don't see too much of a downside because if you don't do this trade, I don't know what exactly your like end game is with keeping things as they were. I, I mean, I don't think... For sure, for Reese, sure. Look, yeah, t- I'll let you go now. Two thoughts here, Michael. First of all, don't be referring to Chris Paul as an old person, okay? Because the guy you're talking to on this phone line happens to be... <laughs> older than Chris it's all, Paul. It's all relative. So, it's all relative. So I, I resent that comment. I do think that we might need a term that like a little bit stronger than veteran. You know, you get into like an ultra veteran, a senior veteran. Maybe we can mm-hmm. come up with something like that to describe players as they hit their mid thirties. Um, no, I'm right there with you. Look, I think the bigger mistake would have been to come out of the bubble and say, we went eight. No, Devin Booker had that amazing game winner. All of our young players are um, going to be aging together and getting you know marginally better. And Rubio is not a perfect answer at point guard, but he's not terrible, and he's a nice guy, and people like him. And we're the Valley Boys, and the Valley Boys are coming to get you next year. I think that would have been a bigger mistake because they're probably going to have to play more games in that Pacific Division, which means lots of games against the Warriors, Lakers, and Clippers. That's pretty rough. It's a dogfight in the West every single year, and other teams are going to be getting better. So I think that you know their idea of pulling the trigger at this moment of saying, look, it's been 10 years since the playoffs for Phoenix, five years of Booker's career without the playoffs. We need a boost. We need a jolt. And we're willing to trust that Chris Paul's got enough basketball le- left in him to be that guy. I think it's a completely reasonable bet from them. I don't even necessarily view it as a gamble. Here's the thing, though. Chris Paul had great health last year in Oklahoma City. If he misses time after this type of trade where you're you're moving out a lot of parts uh, to get him back and you're probably plugging in around them with, you know, spare parts again, that will hit hard, right? They're not going to be able to withstand a Chris Paul injury very well. And so I think from that standpoint, that is one area where this could backfire a little bit. And I think the other area... You know, it comes down to personalities. And I trust that Chris Paul is going to be that leadership guy that Booker needs, that uh, DeAndre Ayton needs. 
But those guys need to be willing listeners, right? And I think Booker is. Like, I think he's gone through enough losing so far in the NBA that he's ready to, you know, have somebody, you know, kind of work with him to kind of get over the top, right? I think with Aiton, he still has a lot to prove. And I think this is going to be a great litmus test for him. Look, he failed last year's litmus test by getting suspended 25 games right (laughs) off the top, right? This is a new season. It's a new narrative. You've got a you know quarterback on the court in Chris Paul who's going to tell you exactly what you need to do, who's going to put you in position to succeed, who's going to create all sorts of easy buckets for you in the pick and roll, who's going to help you with your defensive coverages and everything else. You can't ask for anything more than that, and you need this in your life, DeAndre Ayton. So I hope that he approaches this season with an open mind, open ears, and a closed mouth. I think that's the best thing that could possibly happen for the Suns. And uh, you know, I think for them... You know, I look back at the last 10 years. To me, this is sort of the high moment since they traded Nash, isn't it, in terms of optimism and excitement? No question. No so, question. So from that standpoint, I really don't want to rate on their parade. I think that there is ways this could go wrong, but I think it was a sound and logical move. And the fact that the contract is only two years limits the long-term possible damage. And, and the bottom line is if you don't do this, you don't make the playoffs this year, Devin Booker is going to get real itchy real quick. And he's going to say, come on, guys, it's been six years. How are we not better? And you don't want to be in that situation. So kudos to their ownership for stepping up and, and paying the money during a pandemic. I mean, that's that's surprising in and of itself. Let's flip this around, though, real quick, uh, Michael, and let's look at Oklahoma City's side. They have now replaced Billy Donovan with a first-year coach that nobody's ever heard of. They have reportedly agreed to trade Dennis Schroeder uh, to the Lakers for a draft pick and Danny Green. They have now reportedly agreed to trade Chris Paul, who pretty much single-handedly carried them uh, you know, to last year's playoffs for Ricky Rubio and, and Kelly Oubre. And we don't know if any of these pieces that are coming in are sort of long-term keeper pieces for the, the Thunder or if they're just going to be more trade chips. Meanwhile, they're probably going to be losing Gallinari um, in free agency because this is a full-scale you know, rebuilding effort. And then on top of that, they've got some other veterans like Steven Adams who's going to be looking around and saying, wait a minute, like who are these guys? I don't even know who these people are. Am I about to get traded too? What is going on in Oklahoma City? Do you think this is a, a pandemic-caused phenomenon here? Are they just seeing the fact that they're not going to be able to make nearly as much money at the gate? and saying we have to cut costs? Is it partially just this idea of they have so many future picks, it's just a natural easing in to a rebuilding cycle, and you're just trying to position Shea as kind of the the player of the future? How do you explain this drastic U-turn after what was an incredibly promising and surprising season last year? Yeah, I mean, I think you, you make some good points with you know, economically and financially what the pandemic could have done to a small market franchise and wanting to bottom out, cut costs. Um, obviously, Chris Paul's contract is is very expensive, as we said, and um, particularly next season, if you can get off it now and maximize your value. I mean, the fact that they were able to extract a first round pick for Chris Paul after um, uh, trading Russell Westbrook for him and, and receiving first round picks in that transaction is is remarkable uh, for Sam Presti. Um, but I just think cutting yeah. costs. And, and when you, know, you they, add it all up now, I mean, the, the Westbrook deal and the Chris Paul deal. So he's got three first round picks total and two pick swaps with Houston for the, the Russell Westbrook uh, player and contract, right? Mm-hmm. If you add all that up, that is no joke. Yeah. That's ridiculous. It's, 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 it's incredible. Um, give him executive of the year tomorrow. 
So I, I think a lot of it is just it's timing here where you, you, the Oklahoma City Thunder do not believe that they can you know make this magical run uh, again and replicate what they did in the 2019-20 season uh, with Chris Paul. So you basically just cash out here. Uh, you get that draft pick, which is amazing, to add to your wait, stash wait, wait. from— so, so your argument is Sam Presti had a great summer fling last year, and now he's just getting buttoned back up and, and going back to college, it basically, is how you view this? <laughs> sure. I didn't that that analogy never popped into my head, Ben. But now that no, you say it, it's just it's perfect. That's what you're describing, right? You're saying don't chase the the dream. Uh, you know that was an, a July and August relationship. Don't don't feel like that's going to be a year round long term thing. And you know you savor the memories and you write in everybody's yearbook, right? And then you move forward with the next chapter of your life. Is what you're saying? Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, I, I do think that the financial concerns are weighing here a great deal. I mean, they were never going to uh, re-sign Danilo Gallinari. They're probably now going to have to lose him for nothing after not trading him at the trade deadline, which is a bummer. Um, but like you said, also, you know, they lose Billy Donovan here. And so it just that's writing on the wall in terms of what they're really concerned about, which is money. Um, they signed or hired a head coach or promoted a head coach who I'd never heard of uh, before that press release. Um, so it, look, this is just a teardown and you, they have the assets to create all these different avenues going forward. They could, um, uh, you know, be one of those teams that is just, uh, able to trade for the next, next disgruntled superstar. Should they even be interested in doing such a transaction? Um, and, or they could slow roll this and we know how good Sam Presti is in evaluating talent because he drafted Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook and James Harden. So, um, I just think they're in a really perfect position right now to start all over. And at some point, they were going to have to start all over. And Sam Presti has just been masterful at, at timing, be it the uh, the Paul George trade, uh, which is just, I mean, that just came, that was a, a, the type of transaction where you just can't say no to Russell Westbrook, the Russell Westbrook trade, and getting value there to this type of deal, uh, where you're able to shed salary and pick up a, a future asset in the 2022 uh, draft pick from Phoenix, which could be a really, really good asset. We don't know. Um, so it's just a lot of brilliant maneuvers, well-timed maneuvers. And Sam Presti is, you know, arguably the best GM in the game right now. No, it, it, I love what he does for sure. I'm not alone with that. Clearly you do as well. And I think a lot of analysts do. I even think the Thunder fan base is completely sold on this as well, which is kind of crazy. Like how many executives could trade Two franchise-level guys with Russell Westbrook and Paul George get one back, wait a year, and after a really fun year where everybody's bought in and exceeds everybody's expectations and it's a thrill ride, turn right around and trade that guy for no impact players and nothing but future a future pick, and mm-hmm. everybody's like, yeah, this guy's the genius. Like, I don't think very many executives would be able to get away with that, especially if the idea of like, you know, finances was weighing on things. I think there would be a a backlash in a lot of situations to this kind of a trade where you're saying, look, like we know Chris Paul is making a lot of money, but he won us a lot of games last year. What are we doing here? You know, what's our season going to look like? And I think that Presti has just built up such a level of credibility with the fans and and with media members that it just gets framed differently. Do, Do you agree there? 
I do. Uh, and I think, you know, to contextualize this conversation, we have to mention, and I know we're going to talk about it a little bit later, but like the fact that they also traded Dennis Schroeder for a future asset. So, right. That's what I'm but, saying. They've traded two yeah. of their three best players, right? And I think that, look, if they didn't get Shea back, I think this trade's a lot harder to do, right? Because Shea is like the shining, glimmering object that everyone's going to be mm-hmm. rallying around. Everyone's going to go out and buy his jersey. He's going to be the future. I also think like Lou Dort, his breakthrough, like low-key really <laughs> helps sell this thing because like I mean honestly if you're a Thunder fan the idea of getting to cheer for Shea and Lou Dort sounds pretty freaking awesome next year right like sure that team's probably not going to win very many games but you've got something to kind of hold on to and I think that usually these kinds of trades are so heartbreaking I also think it plays to Presti's advantage though that guys are just moving constantly like every superstar level guy seems like he's on a year-to-year situation right now and so from that standpoint you know, it's not maybe as they heartbreaking. Could he could, yeah, they could flip things around at the drop of a hat because of the assets that they have. So I think really smart fans would recognize that. And I also think smart fans would recognize that, like, last year was an aberration. I, I mean, that's just being realistic. I, I, I don't think anyone could say that, you know, um, this exact team – uh, forget about the fact that they'd have to re-sign Gallinari and that would just be, you know, tying yourself to mediocrity of first round exits for the next umpteen years. Like, I, it's just, it, it's it's kind of just like a no-brainer and I hope the fans are smart enough to realize that. No, that's very well said, Michael. All right. Um, I, we want to hear your guys' reaction. So email us, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. Look, for almost the duration of this entire podcast, years and years, Michael, the Phoenix Suns have been a punching bag. If there are any Suns fans left and you guys are excited, today's your Christmas or your um, your national holiday, whatever <laughs> it might be, email us in. Let me know how you're feeling. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Openfloormail at gmail.com. And if you're a Thunder fan, let us know. Are you actually buying into what uh, Presti's selling? Are you nervous about the future? Uh, or are you just excited that you've got 16 future first-round picks? Does that make you just lick your lips? There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This Father's Day, shop at the Home Depot to find the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. He's the weed-fighting, hedge-trimming, leaf-blowing lord of the lawn. He sees the job, and he gets it done. Because your dad is a doer. So show him you appreciate everything he does with the tools he needs to power up his landscaping game. This Father's Day, give him the convenience and gas-like power of innovative and durable Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad does, everything he is, and everything he can be, find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. 
paid by up-level rewards. Paid participation required at your portrayal. Attention all listeners. Are you ready to earn $750? Well, get ready because I'm about to introduce you to GetMy750.com, the ultimate way to earn. Here's the scoop. Instead of just streaming shows or playing games on your phone for nothing, you have the chance to earn additional cash. That's right. From trying out new subscriptions to playing your favorite mobile games, you can get extra cash in your pocket. Simply sign up at GetMy750.com and follow the instructions to start earning immediately. So, what are you waiting for? Turn your favorite apps into real cash with GetMy750.com. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to earn rewards for things you're already doing on your phone. Check out GetMy750.com today. That's right. Get started right now at GetMy750.com. Just go to GetMy750.com or Google Get My 750 Cash. Follow the simple instructions and get your $750. That's GetMy750.com. GetMy750.com. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Michael, I want to talk to uh, you about something that I gave you as a homework assignment over last week. Now, you'll remember last Thursday, I unloaded a knowledge bomb on your brain on this podcast. I said, look... James Harden doesn't have very many places that he could potentially get traded to. Wouldn't the Brooklyn Nets make some level of sense to pair him with his old buddy, Kevin Durant, form a big three with Kyrie Irving, and the Nets could send back all those little trade ships and a whole bunch of first-round picks that they've been uh, you know, potentially wielding in other trade scenarios for guys like Bradley Beal? Now, I do think you even told me this idea blew your mind, but somehow I spoke it into existence, Michael, because the last three or four days, it was nothing but rumor after rumor after rumor of Harden's interest in the Nets. Maybe there's going to be a deal as Houston coming to terms with this idea of needing to move him um, and all the rest of it. Now that you've had the weekend to think on it and to do your homework, which I'm sure you did because you always do, Michael, are you with me on this idea or are you still skeptical? I think I can see both sides uh, of the argument here. Um, and before we go any further, I just want to congratulate you on being the first person to mention this hypothetical possibility in public that I saw. You're a genius. We well, love look, look, look. I'm just a guy over here connecting dots, Michael. And look, I don't need your <laughs> I don't need your congratulations. But if Sean Marks wants to, uh, you know, throw me a little shout out at the big press conference when they unveil Harden as the big three, I'll I'll be glad to take it. Okay, so uh, look, the NBA is about talent and talent accumulation, and if you are uh, trying to win the championship, adding a guy who's basically finishing first or second in MVP every year for the past half decade is not stupid. So, you know, adding Harden, having Kevin Durant, assuming Kevin Durant is healthy, uh, having Kyrie Irving, who is just a sublime offensive talent— um, like right there, you are a championship contender, regardless of what else is on the roster. You have the maybe the best, probably like, you know, uh, I would say no, nothing worse than the top three offense. Like even if everything goes wrong, these guys are just going to be putting the ball in the basket. That's that's a guarantee. Um, but I also see like, you know, um, th- what it will take to make this type of trade happen I mean, the Brooklyn Nets have been down this. It's pretty ironic. The Brooklyn Nets have been down a road like this before where they just kind of gave up their entire future for... Now, this wasn't uh, a James Harden situation, but they did mortgage their entire future before in a big trade trying to win a championship. 
And so if I were them, I'd probably still pull the trigger, maybe, but you're, you're cutting into your depth, you're cutting into your flexibility, assuming that they have to give up a lot of future first round picks to get Harden in the door. You're probably moving on from Karis LeVert slash definitely moving on from him. You're probably including Spencer Dinwiddie, Jared Allen. Um, so it's a, you know, it's a tough one. Um, getting that st- that superstar elite talent is the hardest thing to do. So if they can do it and all the pieces work and everything fits and they're the best team in the Eastern Conference, then hats off to them. But I think that chemistry could be i mean there's a lot of things that could pop up that are problematic um one being the fact real quick that you know uh kyrie irving and james harden are not known for their defense i think the defense on this team in the in the as a closing five could be atrocious uh so look it's a really fascinating uh situation i i do want it to happen now that you know we've been talking about it for as long as we have slash i knew it but i knew it i knew it I, I, i want it to happen i do well, look, first of all, it's great for you if it happens. That's number one, and that's a key factor for me. I just want you to have that story to cover. I think it would be incredible. Um, so here's my argument. I think that the Nets have a lot of baggage right now for obvious reasons. You mentioned the, the trade uh, backfiring on them, the the Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett trade in a big-time way. Uh, I think that you know Kyrie's you know quirks and eccentricities and Kevin's health uh, leads to be some you know natural skepticism. The fact that the roster doesn't really mesh with the the guys who are the holdovers. The fact that Kyrie couldn't stay healthy last year. I mean, there's a lot of reasons for skepticism with the Nets, and so I think that any trade involving the Nets is going to be you know, wind up you know being looked at through that prism. I would just like to say, imagine just rewinding even a year, right, and saying the Houston Rockets have the ability to pair James Harden with Kevin Durant easily the best player that he's ever played with, much better than Dwight Howard, much better than Chris Paul, much much better than everyone else um, in that Rockets uh, lineup. And they're able to go out there and get a Kyrie Irving to put together a big three. I mean, Daryl chased a big three in Houston for almost a decade, and he didn't even come close to putting together something as good as that on paper. And if there was a scenario for him to put those three guys together, regardless of whatever fit issues there might have been, and there are some obvious ones, he would have done that in a heartbeat, and I think that people would have been behind it. So I guess my point here is that some of this you know, negativity or reluctance uh, about the Nets doing this is just Nets branding problems, right? Nets, Nets image management. If you're just saying, in a vacuum, do you want these three guys together? The answer is 100% yes. I think if there are Nets fans out there feeling a little bit gun-shy, they're probably nervous that they've got a new owner and a new front office since that Paul Pierce trade, right? Like, there's people like they're in situations where it's like, look, that mistake wasn't on our watch. You know, we get to make our own <laughs> decisions now. And I do think that uh, that would make me a little bit nervous if I was a long suffering Nets fan, because you know how ugly it got during those down years. At the same time, I think this is an absolute no brainer if Brooklyn can pull it off. If you're sending back a package that doesn't include a guaranteed future star, which their which their uh, you know group doesn't. If you're sending back draft picks where you're going to be a really good team for the next four or five years, you're fine. And I keep hammering this point home. Like, just because you put together that big three with Harden, Kyrie, and Kevin Durant doesn't mean that's your big three for the next five years. Superstar guys are coming in and out constantly. I would be looking at this almost as like an ideal pairing between Harden and Durant, two of the best scorers in NBA history, 
And look, if Kyrie has to get traded at some point down the line because it's not working out because there's not enough basketball to keep everyone happy because the usage rate numbers just aren't adding up, so be it. I mean, that's a big time upgrade. And so I think if I'm them, uh, you're actually getting yourself into a, a fairly flexible situation, um, you know, just because you don't have to be locked into those particular three guys for the duration of their contracts. And you are getting, you know, two or three prime years together of Durant and Harden. And to me, that would be worth almost any price, uh, given those guys' previous relationship and mm-hmm. given their skill sets and the fact that you're playing in the Eastern Conference. It just all lines up to me. So I would, I would do this and I would not look back. And I think, um, you know, their ownership group has tried to make a splash, right? Um, And this would certainly qualify there. And I think that, you know, if you're uh, Houston, and we should look at this from Houston's side now, Michael, there's a lot of reasons why you wouldn't make this trade, right? Because you would say, look, James Harden guarantees us a baseline of competency and usually a playoff spot. Even if we have to trade Westbrook for peanuts, we're still able to kind of move forward with Harden and, and whatever other players around him. But now you look at this idea of, okay, well, Harden has eyed Brooklyn, according to reports, and he's interested. That could put some pressure on your decision making. Do you see a case for why Houston should do this deal um, or why they should at least entertain the idea of, of trading Harden? Or do you think this would be a mistake no matter what? I mean, if I'm Houston, it, 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 the like the crux here is basically that I have a top five player who is 31 years old and uh, on a max contract that he can opt out of in a couple years. So like this is my like I know that I'm going to unless I'm trying to still win the championship, which it doesn't look like I'll be, I have a path to do because I have no future assets. I have very little cap flexibility. Russell Westbrook is still on my roster and he, he's you know probably the worst value play in the league right now. So like it makes no sense for me to have this guy on my team almost. And I kind of feel like the like trading him sooner, the sooner you trade him, the more value you get back and the better assets that you get back. And like if I'm Houston, I can totally understand them wanting to treat what James Harden is right now just as a parachute and just getting towards the rebuild and having as many future assets as I possibly can to make my rebuild as, I guess, like painless as I possibly can. So I think there are maybe some other packages out there that they'll probably survey, but like I honestly think that Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie, Jared Allen, just as a baseline in terms of like young talent or young-ish talent, and then like if I can get three future first-round picks, <laughs> like all unprotected, then like I'm I, I'm pretty excited about that because I have not had uh, draft picks to play with forever. And there is the possibility that this does not work out. And those picks are actually really good, especially one the further out you get, because these guys are all old. So I get what you're saying about, uh, you know, uh, I have flexibility with Durant and I have flexibility with Harden and I can just build around them if I'm Brooklyn. But at the same time, you know, those guys are not under contract for the next five years. So it could totally backfire on Brooklyn. Um and that would obviously be to Houston's benefit if they have their draft picks. So I think that is really the the real appeal here if you're Houston and you're trying to move on from James Harden. Just the fear that he could leave you just kind of at the altar. I think that's a great point. I also think they have more immediate problems, which is 
Guys like James Harden and Russell Westbrook, those are tough superstars to have on your team if they're not happy, locked in, and mm-hmm. engaged, right? Like if they're in a situation where their heads are spinning because you lost Daryl Morey, you lost Mike D'Antoni, you're bringing in a first-time coach and a bunch of the rosters turning over around those guys. If they're not fully invested and they're playing these games in empty gyms and they're looking around saying like, what are we even doing here? That's going to get really bad for you really fast. And that's not going to be an identity or it's not going to be a situation uh, setting up your new coach for success, right? So I'm not saying these guys are going to quit on the team necessarily, but there's a difference between James Harden completely locked in going for 40 every single night and James Harden saying, you know what, you know, uh, Daniel House, you can handle defense this quarter. I'm just going to like hang out at half court, right? Like, and we can see both of those situations playing out depending on how this season goes. So I do think they face a little bit of short-term pressure here just to appease those guys. And then also I'm a big rip the bandaid off guy, right? Like it's better to not do a halfway rebuild. If you're going to rebuild, go all the way with it. Russell Westbrook is not going to get you back the kind of assets that you want, um, you know, to really replenish your draft supply or anything like that. Like look what Chris Paul just got traded for. He's definitely a more valuable commodity than Russell Westbrook. And if all he brought back was one, you know, future first round pick, I mean, Westbrook's probably not even going to get you Uh, something as good as that in terms of a total package, right? So, um, you know, from that standpoint, the only way you're going to be able to dig out of the hole that the the Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook uh, trade created for Houston is to move Harden and just absolutely maximize it. And they should ask for the moon. They should get more for Harden than uh, the Thunder got for Paul George, right? I mean, that's sort of the the baseline uh, benchmark that you're using here. And you're saying you want more than that. And if you're getting three or four first round picks, if you're getting, uh, you know, three or four quality rotation pieces, look, you're going to be competitive. You're not going to make the playoffs with Karis LeVert, um, you know, and Jarrett Allen in the Western Conference, but it's the start of something. And it's better than, you know, just kind of trudging through a season where those guys don't want to be there and they're just getting angrier and angrier and there's distractions. And I think also finally weighing on this decision, if you're Houston, is just the idea that. I think a lot of the guys in that locker room have just decided that the whole plan ran its course, right? P.J. Tucker wants a new contract. Austin Rivers, probably going to be gone. Eric Gordon doesn't sound particularly happy. None of this works unless everybody's bought in. And that's why I think the value of losing Daryl is really going to shine through. He was the one who could communicate the vision and the message to all these people. Now that he's gone, all the players are sitting there looking around saying, what do you mean the plan is that we're just going to stand around and watch James? This doesn't make any sense. Why are we doing this? And if you don't have that really passionate, intelligent voice who's been there for a long time and is trusted and has gotten those guys paid and everything else... Uh, it's just harder to keep everybody bought in. So for all those reasons, I think it's smart for them to trade him now if they can get a reasonable package. And um, I would love to see it uh, wind up with Brooklyn. I think it would be a lifeline for Kevin Durant. I think it would make the, the Nets far more entertaining. It would really um, you know, kick up the intrigue factor in the Eastern Conference playoff standings and everything else. And as a Boston Celtics fan, you'd be pretty nervous, wouldn't you? <laughs> Well, Tatum's better than all those guys anyway, so I'm, oh, I'm fine. Oh, come on, yeah. come on. Yeah, come I'm on. fine. All those old geezers, yeah, I'm good. But um, doesn't it feel like uh, Daryl Morey just sprayed kerosene like all over the Houston Rockets organization and then like lit a match and flicked it in their direction on his way to Philadelphia? <laughs> like, it's just, it's not looking good over there. Yeah, I mean, 
Look, this is one of those time machine things where if you go back to like when Tillman was in the hallway lecturing the Rockets about, you know, have he was going to teach them how to be winners after that difficult, <laughs> just like heartbreaking playoff loss to the Golden State Warriors. And you fast forward two years and now he probably doesn't even want to go to the games to watch guys like Karis LeVert um, and Jared Allen play. I mean, that is a real life came at you fast moment. And I lay this almost exclusively on Tillman's feet. If this is how, how it mm-hmm. winds up going, if their new front office just says, look, we have no other outs, we have to trade Harden, that is an absolute ownership disaster. I mean, James Harden, over the course of 10 years, that's like a billion-dollar asset, right? So if you squander that, you really did something pretty, pretty bad. All right, Michael, I want to um, fast forward here and get into some of these other questions that we got from the Open Floor Globe. They emailed us, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. I want to start with Thaddeus, Michael, because our MVP listener also did his homework over the weekend, and he emailed me multiple times about the James Harden trade because you know, as it started to firm up, this idea that Harden was interested, I could tell his, his wheels were turning. Thaddeus's argument is this. Brooklyn right now has a rare combination of superstars and depth that you basically never see. When was the last time a team could reasonably boast the best player in every series and have seven guys that they want on the court? Even better, can you seriously answer who the last team was who could go seven deep in the playoffs? Outside of the 2014 Spurs that blew the doors off Miami, it just doesn't happen very often. LeBron's teams have rarely touched the seventh guy more than spot minutes, and Houston's sixth guy has been Austin Rivers, and they needed 30-plus minutes from him. So what Thaddeus is saying is, look, you could get too top-heavy here if you go for the big three. If you squander all of that depth, you could potentially have to rely on a guy like DeAndre Jordan more than you want to. You might have to fill in your rotation with veteran minimum-type players. And it could actually be a less effective formula in the playoffs um, because you, you don't have that same rotational depth. Are you convinced by Thaddeus's concern here? Would uh, you be reluctant to pursue this model because uh, you know, it would almost be like an overcorrection, right? Where you're, um, you know, you're so reliant on the big three. If one gets hurt, or if the the chemistry doesn't work, or you know somebody's unhappy because they don't get the touches you don't have enough to take on a team like, say, Boston, which has you know significant depth, or Milwaukee, which had decent depth, um, or you know whoever else you want to plug into that mix, whether it be Philadelphia, Miami, um, or even, I guess, the Toronto Raptors, depending on what happens with them. Um, are you buying what Thaddeus is selling? No, I think, I think Thaddeus and I are just on the same page here. Like, uh, it's just that it's that top-end talent versus depth question. Well, here's and, the, here's my counter for you. Are we sure okay. these guys are going to be able to put it together from a chemistry standpoint? Like the seven no. guy argument is strong. Well, I'm saying with with the current group, right? Oh, okay, 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 okay. Because like, I mean, Kyrie already tried to trade half of them last year. I mean, he said it in the press, <laughs> right? And all those guys are like, wait a minute, what? Um, you have the back and forth where like Kyrie's texts to the Nets players about should they go to the bubble or not go to the bubble are getting leaked. That's kind of a red flag, right? And then you have a lot of just conflicting interests. Like, I'm not sure that Brooklyn's role players view themselves as role players. I think those guys view themselves as like, you know, 
Uh, like Spencer Dinwiddie can talk himself into being a starting point guard. Karis LeVert can talk himself into being a starting two guard, right? Like Jared Allen knows that he's better than DeAndre Jordan because he is better than DeAndre Jordan. So are we sure they're going to have seven guys who actually want to play together in the playoffs? Or is this going to be a situation where all those guys are, uh, you know, conflicting and, you know, maybe they're, the, the fits aren't working for different reason than like Philadelphia's fits didn't work last year. But maybe they get the same result where you have an implosion because these guys just don't like each other and they're not on the same page. I think that that is possible for any team. And before we move on, like Spencer Dinwiddie thinks he's the Draymond Green of the Brooklyn Nets. So clearly his role is already um, etched into stone. But I, you know, you make a really good point. I think a lot of these guys are going to be playing for new contracts pretty soon. A lot of these guys have been hearing their names in trade rumors for that third star, for Bradley Beal, for whoever becomes available for a really long time. And now they're hearing it with James Harden. So I think chemistry issues for sure are a possibility i also think like you know you go the other way and like who is even going to be the fifth guy on this next nets team and just how are they going to play defense and how many like obviously Kyrie and harden and kd are excellent shooters but are you losing joe harris like who are your shooters off the bench they just traded for bruce brown from detroit like you know is bruce brown like going to be a capable backup point. I, I just, I, I think like finding the right pieces around those three could be, it might just not be a question even worth asking as we just saw the Los Angeles Lakers win the championship with Rajon Rondo as their third best player. But like LeBron James and Anthony Davis are a little different in, in terms of just like top tier talent and championship experience, et cetera. So like, I wouldn't necessarily just, I, I don't know. I, I'm going back and forth in my head as I'm, like, talking to you about no, it. No, I, I, there's no clear answer. I, I'm with you. I mean, look, I think that uh, when you're looking at, you know, Brooklyn's formula here, guys needing contracts, they are not going to want to watch Kyrie stand around and dribble, no. right? No, That's no, no, not no, going to no. work out. And KD is going to use a lot of possessions. He's not a selfish player. He's actually too unselfish for my interest, but he uses a lot of possessions. It's just not a good dynamic for those guys. So whether or not they get traded for Harden, they're probably going to need to get traded. So I do think that their their whole look is going to be a little bit different than this uh, rosy picture that Thaddeus was trying to, to paint for us. And then I do think that the Lakers are an interesting example for the Nets because I didn't think they were going to be able to fill in all the pieces they needed to fill in, right? Like they looked like they had so many different holes. Were they going to have enough shooters? Were they going to have centers? And just kind of piece by piece without any spectacular moves, they found competent guys who could fill time around their stars and then the stars carried all the heavy load, right? I think that similar formula could work for Brooklyn. Like, let me ask you this. If you were building a team for next season around... LeBron James and Anthony Davis or James Harden and Kevin Durant, which pairing are you taking? If I'm if I'm going to tell you that Kevin Durant's fully healthy. Ooh, I love that question. Um, I think at not this bad point, for an old man like me, right, Michael? No, no, no. Yeah, you still got it. Um, you know, I think like uh, just betting against LeBron in any capacity is just not the right move to make i think i've learned that by now <laughs> i was gonna say do you so... <laughs> feel burned by picking against him in four straight playoff series michael is that uh, is that a lingering effect yeah no i mean yeah <laughs> I, I, like it, when your model is we're gonna do what lebron's team did and think it's gonna work out for us 
you guess what? You don't have LeBron, so it's not going to work out for you is basically kind of like what I'm thinking here. Um, no disrespect to KD, no disrespect to James Harden. They're both incredible players, top five players. But I come back to, again, like LeBron, there's only one LeBron, and AD is like he might be number two on that unique, perfect player like power ranking. Like, the things that he can do defensively, the positions he can play on offense, everyone he can guard, his rim protection, the shooting, etc. So, it's just a really... Uh, I guess the answer to the question is I'm going with LeBron and AD. <laughs> so yeah, that's, no, I am too, yeah. actually, because I think you have a little bit better complementary skills between them, and you've got better two-way package, thanks to Anthony Davis, right? But... The fact that we had to talk it out and we could even come up with a theoretical pairing that made it a conversation after the way LeBron and AD played together in the playoffs is the best evidence yet that Brooklyn should do this. You want to be in that particular conversation. You want to go down with these superstar guys. And uh, if they come up with short, you know, so be it. I think it's just a better formula. To me, I am of the mind that you can take basically those top three and even if it doesn't work out perfectly, but you're able to find just reasonable minimum level guys around them. To me, that's like a top two or three team in the Eastern Conference next season. As they stand right now, I'm not convinced that they're quite that good. You know, I might have them more closer to like, you know, four or five right now um, in the East if they just bring back this mishmash roster because I'm so concerned about their chemistry. So, um, you know, we'll see. It's hilarious this idea you're going to trade for James Harden and potentially improve your chemistry. (laughs) But uh, that's... That's kind of where I stand. Real quick before we move on. I mean, the number one, like, hitch I think that I have in your line of thinking is you're just, like, totally kind of discounting Kyrie Irving and just saying that, you know, if it doesn't work out with Kyrie, we can just move him. But I kind of, like, look, he's two surgeries removed from the debacle with the Boston Celtics. And there's no denying his offensive talent, but like, what realistically could you get for Kyrie Irving, knowing that if you brought him into your organization, you were going to have to deal with a lot of volatility in the locker room? And like, I I don't know. I think that getting off of him is a little more difficult than you might make it seem. Well, um, congratulations for outflanking me on negativity when it comes to Kyrie. (laughs) Rarely happens. Someone will trade for Kyrie Irving, I'm telling you. He sells a lot of jerseys. People always buy into the myth. He will keep uh, earning big contracts and keep getting traded, um, you know, probably four or five years after that should happen uh, in our own estimation. That's just kind of how the NBA economic game work. I can't Mm -hmm. explain it, but look, I mean, Chris Paul just got traded. Russell Westbrook's about to get traded probably. Um, These are just, you know, it's just how it works. This is how the, uh, you know, the the cycle spins. All right, here's, we were talking about the Lakers earlier. Here's a question from Marcus, uh, who I assume is from Germany, because he's asking about Dennis Schroeder. What do you guys make of the trade that would send Schroeder from the Oklahoma City Thunder to the Lakers for a first-round pick and Danny Green. Is this a good move for either the Lakers or Oklahoma City? What do you expect from him on the Lakers, and how would you evaluate Dennis as a player right now in terms of his floor and ceiling? Um, Could he become a starter again someday, or is he locked into the sixth-man role? Um, So what do you think, Michael? We talked about what Oklahoma City is doing a little bit earlier in terms of just the the massive cost-cutting salary uh, trimming and all that. What do you make of uh, Schroeder's fit on the Lakers, and could this tell us anything else about other dominoes moving for them here as they go forward into free Mm -hmm. agency? 
Yeah, I mean, Schroeder is exactly the exact type of player that I wanted the Los Angeles Lakers to trade for last season. And it turns out they, they didn't need him because some of their pieces kind of stepped up in the ball handling department. But he's just a perfect on-court fit, particularly if they realize that they don't want to or can't afford Rajan Rondo going forward. Um, he's key. And so, you know, if he's able to shoot the three ball like he did last year in OKC, which, you know, I think getting a lot of wide open spot up attempts with LeBron and AD and and just like looking at the spot up attempts that some of the other Lakers, the Lakers supporting cast got in the playoffs. Like I think Dennis Schroeder could be a a really effective three point shooter for them. He can also shoot it off the bounce. Um, One of the fastest players in the league still. So I love the fit for them. Um, you know, they give up Danny Green and a first-round pick to get him. And we don't yet know what is going on with Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who turned into Michael Jordan in the fourth quarter of a key finals game. And so if KCP has opted out of his contract, so if KCP opts out, or if KCP leaves... And Avery Bradley opts out and finds a new home. And Rondo leaves. Like, your perimeter defense is all of a sudden... Because Dennis Schroeder is not a stopper. So, like, they're not getting him for his defense. So, all of a sudden, you lose some really important pieces on that side of the ball. And that's where your identity was last season when you won the championship defense. So, I think it's a really fascinating development. I want to see just what... Uh, the god Rob Palenka has up his sleeve to try to replace uh, that key area of the floor. Um, And I guess we'll see what happens and what moves are to be made. But I mean, just in a vacuum, I do like this move for the Lakers. So here's how I see it. I think that they're bringing in Schroeder basically as the Rondo replacement because they're just not convinced they're going to be able to keep him. I think they include Green so that they can kind of free up that salary slot to pay KCP. You know, I think basically KCP earned the money during the playoffs. Green lost his confidence with the shot. Um, KCP was just awesome, you know, unexpectedly so throughout that postseason run. You throw in the clutch ties, I think it was just time for him to kind of get a bump. And so you're almost killing two birds with, with one stone here by essentially giving KCP the money you were paying to Green moving green and then plugging in uh, Schroeder, who I view as a pretty big upgrade over Rondo, all things considered, um, you know, into that spot. So now you're you're free to, you know, lose Rondo and be in a situation where you're not actually sacrificing that much depth. I mean, green, I think it just kind of was a situation where he lost, uh, you know, the, the people lost confidence in him, right? I mean, he didn't trust his shot. He was pump faking constantly. LeBron would go look to him in the corner and you know it was he would just kind of keep moving the ball he was open about his struggles with adapting to the bubble and um so you want to have sympathy there but this is obviously a pretty cutthroat business and like once you know once you're not taking shots that LeBron's setting up for you you're not going to last very long in a LeBron offense it's sort of how I look at it um in terms of who Schroeder is as a player he was exactly who I expected him to be in Oklahoma City last year. It just took him like two years to get there once he moved to Oklahoma City. I thought he was a little bit um, underqualified to be a starting point guard. I didn't like him in that role in Atlanta. I felt like it was smart for Atlanta to move him out to kind of create the space for Trey Young to have all the room in the world to operate. I think that was just a, a smart decision by the Hawks. Um, when he got to Oklahoma City, I expected more from him off the bat. 
he settled in and found a really nice role. I think ultimately, like the less he can worry about orchestrating for his teammates, the more he can kind of just do, put his head down and try to get to the basket and put pressure on defenses, um, Mm -hmm. the better. And then I think, you know, he's a a decent two-way player. And I think that he should fit in pretty nicely as that lead ball handler when LeBron is off the court. And then also just like, you know, a, a little bit of a emergency release valve so LeBron doesn't have to run the offense constantly. You can play those guys together a little bit. He will function a lot like Rondo. Obviously, he's quicker and a little bit more athletic, and I think the Lakers will be happy with that. Now, if that's their big move of the offseason, will some people be disappointed? I mean, maybe, but I didn't view them as being a roster that needed like you know a giant influx of talent. I don't know. How did you feel in terms of like their title defense? Like, did you feel like this was a big summer for the Lakers? They were going to sort of you know resign Anthony Davis, resign KCP, and, and probably be in pretty good shape. I mean, honestly, I'm not as confident as you seem to be in their ability to retain KCP just because if he does have other suitors, now they do have his bird rights, but if he does have other suitors, then it affects their ability to use the mid-level. And yeah, you, you can't go I, against that clutch mafia though, Michael. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that you know they're going to be bargain basement hunting for a really key uh, 3 and D type of player or players. Um they could lose Dwight Howard, who obviously is just, you know, a monster and, like, was their fourth best player. No, I'm just kidding. But, like, I, I do think, like, um, when you have LeBron, if LeBron is able to kind of just preserve himself and be the same player that he was throughout the bubble, and then you re-sign Anthony Davis, assuming Anthony Davis will be, you know, marginally better than he was uh, in the bubble, which is just a really scary thought to daydream about if you are the competition then there doesn't need to be any like super dramatic movement by the lakers but i do think like i do think rondo brought something to that team just in terms of his intelligence with the ball and everything especially in the in the postseason that schroeder you know i think schroeder's decision making is just a little bit iffier for me and I, like you know unquantifiable winning plays rondo has those in the bag and schroeder may not we don't know he's never really played um in late playoff environments so, so it's, a, it's actually a really good point i mean late in that first round series of thunder versus rockets there was way too much dennis yeah. schroeder for my liking right yeah. i mean he's yeah. he's a little bit too wild pounding a little bit too much He's putting a lot on his own shoulders, and it just wasn't working out very well for Oklahoma City. So that's definitely something to watch. Michael, I want to close up this episode, though, with a question that came in from Tommy. He says, your patient is a teal and purple insect that comes into the clinic complaining of bloated contracts for declining players, lack of star potential, and previous front office incompetence. And, of course, he's talking about none other than the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, he wants to know what should they do with that number three pick um, in the draft? Would they uh, or should they pursue any of the stars who have become available in trade talks like a Russell Westbrook or a DeMar DeRozan or uh, anyone else along those lines? How would you fix or approach things for Charlotte, Michael? And then what would you do with that number three pick if they do uh, keep that pick? Whew. Man, the Charlotte Hornets. Um, well, it's good to see them get a pick this high, first and foremost. Um, well, it's good to see them have a, a fan, too, who, who cares enough to email right. in. I appreciate that. Openfloormail at gmail.com. If your team is being <laughs> overlooked, we are here to try to step up and, and fix your patient's ills. Do you have a plan for that, Michael? 
just re- with regards to the draft, I mean, they're in a pretty good spot just because of the top three. I think there's a consensus top three in the draft, right? I think it's Anthony Edwards, uh, James Weissman, and LaMelo Ball. And, you know, we've talked at length about Weissman and LaMelo in our last episode. But, like, if I'm Charlotte, I'm just really content, I think, taking whoever doesn't get selected with the first two picks because I have so many issues as an organization and uh, like just adding, like if I add LaMelo Ball to my team, I think that's, this is a good destination for someone like LaMelo Ball. He'll, we'll be able to just build around him. We have a lot of cap space going forward. Uh, We'll put the ball in his hands. It'll be fine. Um, You know, Wiseman, we need a center. Uh, Like his development is just really clean. And then same thing with Edwards when it comes to the LaMelo ball comparison. We'll just build around Anthony Edwards. We'll give him the ball. We'll give him time. So like, Michael, you raise a hilarious point, right? Because we spent all this time (laughs) wringing our hands about none of the top three players really fit that well with Minnesota stars, right? And none of the top three prospects really uh, fit that well with Golden State stars. The huge benefit of having no stars is you can fit any prospect onto your (laughs) roster, right? Like Weissman fits, Edwards fits, Ball fits, as you're describing. Um, It does feel a little bit like they're the Grizzlies from last year's draft, right? Where you have the easiest decision because you know you're not going to get Zion and you know Ja's going to be sitting there. So you just take Ja, right? Um, I think that uh, for Charlotte, they don't know exactly who's going to be there. It could be Ball, could be Edwards. I guess it could be Weissman. I guess I kind of think that it'll probably be Edwards who's who's sitting there for Mm -hmm. them at three. And if that's the case, you can go forward with a a backcourt of Devontae Graham and Anthony Edwards and be pretty happy that it's young, it's explosive, it's uh, you know a little bit physical with, with Edwards' addition. And you've got some other young guys, Bridges, Washington, and that's a pretty interesting core. I want to pitch an alternative idea to you and tell me what you think. Okay. I crafted this one trying to put myself in the mind of Michael Jordan. Always dangerous, right? <laughs> um, what if they trade Terry Rozier and, and Nicholas Batum or whatever bad contracts they need to trade to grab Russell Westbrook. He's now the point guard, and they're going to have Devontae Graham sort of off the ball, right? I mean, he's not really playing the two, but he's just kind of, you know, your your off-ball guy, and then he takes the offense when Westbrook sits. And then they invest that number three pick, which, of course, they're not going to need to trade for Westbrook, into a front-court talent. So they they either get a center like a Kongwu, right? Or maybe they go for an NBA-ready guy like an Obi Toppin. You know, Michael Jordan loves those NBA-ready guys. And so now you're in a situation with rather than playing this like five-year rebuilding plan, you could talk yourself into making the playoffs next year, letting Russell Westbrook go wild. Maybe Obi Toppin is uh, spacing the floor so Westbrook can get to the basket more easily. You've got a little one-two punch between him and Graham, and the young guys are now into more you know carefully fitting role-player type roles. What do you think about that plan? I mean, it's like the off-brand version of what Phoenix is trying to do, right? Where their supporting uh, cast talent is not as good as Phoenix's, and Westbrook's not nearly as good as Chris Paul. But you're in the Eastern Conference. You've got nothing else going on. Whoever lands with you at number three probably isn't going to be a superstar anytime soon. So why not have a little bit more of a thrill, thrill ride with Russell Westbrook? What do you think? Well, I love how you pitch this as I'm about to get into the mindset of Michael Jordan and then immediately follow that up with I'm about to spend $150 million on one of the worst players in the league. Well, so, I mean, look, look, just- look, look, Here, here's here's how I defend that. It's, it's a good point because Westbrook <laughs> is a terrible contract and Jordan doesn't like terrible contracts. First of all, everybody knows about the Jordan brand connection. 
Second of all, they're already paying Rozier $20 million, right? So I think an owner like Jordan would be like, well, look, if I'm already paying $20 million for a guy who just flat out can't play, why don't I pay for 45 for a guy who's actually, you know, a decent player who can do things and get the fans excited a little bit? Like, it's a weird justification. It's a weird rationalization. But the rest of their roster is going to be so cheap, especially if they can move off of Batum. I mean, it's like you have a little bit of a splurge. Plus, you could say, hey, look, I paid for Westbrook. I don't need to pay for any other players for the next three years. What more do you guys want me to do, right? It's just like, hey, I've done my due diligence as an owner here. I've, I've landed the superstar level guy, and we could just make do with whoever else we can around the edges. It's like a perfect cover story. Okay, so before I seriously answer this, uh, your Rogier to Westbrook analogy really makes me think about how, like, that would be like saying if I had gout in my foot that I should just chop off my foot. Like that's just not <laughs> just because just because things are going kind of bad Michael. doesn't mean I need to just go all Come on. Out. You're you're being too hard on Westbrook. Okay. He's not um, a, maybe. he's not a he's not a decapitation. I mean you're not like okay. losing your limbs if you bring this guy on. It's going too far. He'd make the all star team in the Eastern Conference. Uh, he he would make the all star team. So now I'll seriously answer the question. Um if if I were to trade for Russell Westbrook, I'd obviously need to keep that third pick, as you said. And I guess it's just you're you're kind of just juggling two different paths. In one path, I have uh, Russell Westbrook. And Wes- Russell Westbrook, for all that I just said, can take you to the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. There's no doubt about it. And so... That is that's a path, and I you know I'm going to have to pay money to Russell Westbrook that could go it to other resources because I all of a sudden will not have any cap space. So um, in an alternate universe, I can just take Anthony Edwards with the third pick instead of taking a big, and I can just build around Anthony Edwards and hope that he is what Russell Westbrook was six, seven, eight years ago. Now that is the other route that I can go. And I, th- I, he- I tend to think that this organization is finally going to embrace patience. And like, as all these other teams are trying to win the championship, I'm going to be really bad in the Eastern Conference and maybe get the first pick in next year's draft. We'll see. Um, so that's good. that would be my route, I think, wow. if I was the Charlotte so Hornets. We've got dueling visions of Michael Jordan. So I'm I'm picturing Michael Jordan being willing to invest in some star power with the, the off chance of barely making the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. You're hoping that Michael Jordan remains patient for the first time in his life. We'll see uh, which one of those wins out. Uh, no, it, it should be interesting. I actually am kind of excited to see what they do this week. It, they're a, a team worth keeping an eye on for the, the first time in a while. Real quick, Michael, do you have favorite players that the Chicago Bulls or the Cleveland Cavaliers should draft at four and five? Because we've done so much talking here about the top three. Do you have uh, a favorite guy? Like, if do you have the Michael Pina mock draft version 6.0? Uh, who, who lands with Chicago at four and Cleveland at five? Yeah, it's a good – I mean – Chicago is really interesting just because they have so many young players already entrenched at like a lot of different positions. So if I'm not getting like a one of those top three guys and one of those top three guys doesn't fall to me, it's just there's a lot of different interesting talents. It'll just be fascinating to see uh, what the incoming general manager slash Billy Donovan, just what they value and what type of skill set they want. But I mean, to answer your question, like, one of the most intriguing players to me would be like an Isaac Okoro out of Auburn 
just like that freak athlete um, who you can mold and he can do a lot of different things on the defensive end and we'll see you know if he's able to develop a three-point shot all of a sudden you know he might be a star and you need a star and you need wings uh, two-way wings if you're the Chicago Bulls I think going forward because Otto Porter <laughs> is is not that guy for you um, so I think that would be who I would target potentially if I was just trying to take a swing um, if I was Chica- if I was Chicago um, if I'm Cleveland I also want a wing but uh, Obi Toppin that's how you pronounce his name, right? I don't want to screw that up and offend his yeah. whole family. No, you nailed it. You've been talking about old guys all podcast. He's 22, Michael. Does that qualify? <laughs> That's I would kill to be 22 right now, but um, I, I, you know, that's the type of offensive big that I think can be really complimentary to Darius Garland and Colin Sexton. Um, and assuming that they're still uh, all in on that really small backcourt, uh, which they really need to break up sooner than later, uh, uh, Toppin is just a really good uh, win-now type of player. Um, or I should say he can be productive right away. Um, so uh, that is what I would, I think, invest in if I was Cleveland and I wanted some something for my season ticket holders down the line to be excited about. I think that is the young piece who can get me there. So people can see my answers to these questions on my mock draft, which went up on the Washington Post today. Um, I like Isaac Okoro a lot. I think that he's the kind of player who actually fits with so many different teams in that particular range. Like, I think Cleveland could actually use him quite a bit. I think he would make sense for Atlanta at number six. Um, you know, they're trying to figure out what's going on with their wings. Um, you know, kind of the list goes on from there. I think for Chicago, I could see them being interested in, in Tyrese Halliburton, um, just kind of you know adding some reliability, dependability, just solid uh, you know uh, option to their backcourt. Mm-hmm. Um, I could also see Arturis, who just has this long track record of always drafting international players, grabbing Denny from uh, Maccabi Tel Aviv and just sort of being mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's a new day in town. Here's what we're doing. I'm not sure exactly how well that would work out for Denny. I don't I don't know how great of a fit that is. I think for him, he's got to land in a spot that has a great setup playmaking uh, point guard to kind of keep him involved. If he winds up going to a place like Chicago with no point guard, Cleveland with point guards who have blinders on, um, that would make me pretty nervous uh, if I was him or his representative. So, you know, I think it's going to be, you know, he's sweating through draft night. And honestly, it's good for him because he's probably not nearly this high on, uh, you know, a draft board if he comes out, say, next year. But I don't really love the fits that are kind of available in his range. For Cleveland, I think Obi Toppin makes a lot of sense. You have to kind of find a way to wean yourself off of Kevin Love at some point. That's going to be a hole positionally um, in your lineup, you know, going forward. And, you know, also if I were them, I would consider uh, Akangu the center from USC because, you know, mm-hmm. Drummond is yep. not a long-term answer. You know, you could have a bridge solution there and get yourself a really good big and uh, you're going to need it because, you know, so many of your other young pieces are all in the backcourt. Michael, uh, we've reached the end of this open floor episode, except I want to open the floor to you because I know one of your most influential people in your basketball life passed away recently and you had a tribute that you wanted to share, or at least some words of gratitude to uh, one of the uh, the greats in Boston Celtics history. So go ahead. The floor is yours. Thank you so much, Ben. Um, as everyone listening is aware, I'm sure Tommy Heinsohn, the great Tommy Heinsohn, passed away recently. And so I just wanted to say a, a few quick words, um, just kind of commemorating 
his impact on me personally, to let alone the millions of Celtics fans out there and basketball fans out there over the past umpteen decades. Um, just a titanic figure in basketball history and as the broadcaster for the Boston Celtics when I was a child leading up to you know last season um, he was really the voice of me learning about basketball and falling in love with the NBA and falling in love with the Celtics so this was just like a really devastating loss for I think the basketball community as there are not too many left from his generation, which was just a beautiful era for the game. Um, and it was really just devastating news. And I honestly, you know, obviously we all have to go someday, but I just could never even imagine like a world without Tommy Heinsohn. That's how entrenched he was in my own. So, so two questions are, how mm-hmm. many games do you think you've heard him call? in your life and then how oh many God. how many Tommy points do you think you've accrued just on your day-to-day you know life <laughs> I would be honored to accrue one Tommy point in my life um, I'm sure I have at some point in some area uh, the fr- to answer your first question uh, that's like asking me to guess how many like marbles could fill the room I'm sitting in right now like it's just I have no idea at, like it is it's in the uh, like. It's obviously not the millions, but but it's uh, there's a lot of basketball games going back to when I was like in the third grade, starting to listen to probably thousands uh, at least. It's crazy, it's a, it, right? And like it's a lot. It's it's amazing to me because like the Portland Trailblazers had a longtime broadcaster named Mike Barrett. I mean, and long time. I'm saying like ten or fifteen years, right? And when they when they parted ways with him, it was like a crushing blow to a lot of diehard fans. And a guy like Tommy, I'm mean, looking at his Wikipedia right now. He won his first NBA title in 1957, right? So slightly before you were born, I believe, Michael. Eight-time NBA champion, six-time All-Star, four-time All-NBA, the 1957 Rookie of the Year. Uh, he won two titles as a coach in the 70s. And then from there, he goes on to just have, you know being entrenched with that organization for decade after decade after decade after decade. It's ridiculous. We could all hope to have a distinguished and lengthy career like Tommy, right? <laughs> yeah, we can all hope, and none of us will ever achieve it because <laughs> he is an all-timer. It's ridiculous. Well said. Um, I My condolences to you and the rest of uh, Celtics Nation. Hopefully you can you know tip some mugs of green beer to the curb uh, to honor... Uh, an all-time legend. All right, Michael, on that somber note, we have reached the end of another episode of Open Floor. Guys, you can find us on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. When you find our page, scroll down. It will say rate or review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word. Now, Michael's on Twitter and Instagram at Michael Villas and Victor Pina. I'm on Instagram at Ben.Golliver, on Twitter at Ben Golliver. Programming note, Michael and I will be back on Thursday to recap Uh, The NBA draft, I'm sure there'll be lots of interesting stuff going on with free agency opening on Friday. So stay tuned all week long. We've got you covered. All right, Michael. Until later this week, I will talk to you. Talk soon, Ben. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. What are you looking for in a new smart TV? 
4K picture quality, high quality and immersive sound, a sleek design. All of those are givens, but only the new Roku Pro series has all of those and the Roku streaming experience, an award-winning OS. Get fast, easy access to all your apps like iHeart, where you can stream all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts all day, and regular all-inclusive trips to Roku City. The new Roku Pro series, a smart TV built by the streaming pros. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. When we come together, it's magic. And for 30 years, we've celebrated that because our ideas, our art, our flavor, our community, our impact, there's nothing like it here in this place. This is where we fall more in love with everything that makes us, us. This is the place where we love us. Celebrate 30 years of loving us at Essence Festival. Get your tickets at EssenceFestival.com.